the risen Savior. In the name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning and thank you again for being here. My name is Craig. I don't believe I introduced myself before, but I'm one of the pastors here and I can assure you that it is our privilege to have you gather with us this morning as we celebrate the risen Savior. We're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it's an odd place for an Easter sermon, but I believe that God has something for us from it. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He died and then he actually completely fully rose from the grave. Appreciated a quote I heard this week. Um, it said, what, what should you say to a person who claims to be a Christian who doesn't believe in the resurrection? And the response is simply, then you are not a Christian. There is no Christianity without a belief in a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not actually die for our sins and actually rise from the dead in his bodily form, then there is no hope. And we, above all people as Christians, are to be pitied. There is no Christianity without a crucified and risen Lord. And anyone who says to you otherwise does not understand this book. The only reason we gather is because Jesus actually died and actually rose again. That living Savior is not an elitist though. He's not a special Savior for a few. He is the Savior for us all and that includes you. This morning as we celebrate the resurrection, what I want you to hear loud and clear this morning is that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave so that you might be saved. This is not a general resurrection. This morning I want you to hear it as a very specific invitation. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus died so that you might be saved. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you're not convinced about the Lord Jesus, if you're here today and you're just not sure why, but your mama said or your wife said or your, your, your husband said or whoever said you needed to be here, whatever it is that drug you in this morning, let me assure you of this, God had a hand in it. It is God's will that you should be here this morning hearing this message. And so this morning, I want you to give me laser focus on God's word. Would you stand with me in honor of that word? We're going to read Mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 13. He, that is Jesus, he went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him. And, as he, was, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. Now that's Matthew, the, the disciple there, just so you know, just different, different, different rendering. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, or excuse me, they, and said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see the times when, Father, we've been self-righteous. Lord, help us to see that we are all in need of a Savior. And on this Easter Sunday, 
may we all come together and receive the blessing that is found in the resurrection. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we celebrate Christ's resurrection this morning, rather than retelling the story of the resurrection, I want us to focus on the reason for the resurrection. You see, the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Ultimately, that is why he died and rose again. So that he could bring many, many men, women, boys, and girls unto himself and give to them salvation. And there is salvation in no other name save for the name of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to focus on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and who it is that's invited to participate in that glorious opportunity. The safest place on earth is Fort Knox. Now Fort Knox isn't actually the name of it, but that's the colloquial name that we use for the U.S. Bullion Depository. It houses $137 billion worth of gold. That's with a B. 5,000 tons of precious metals behind a 22-ton door. The combination to that door has been disseminated to 10 different staff people, each of whom has only one part of the code. No one person knows the total code. The code has to be inserted one person at a time. Behind that door in the treasury is the safest place on earth. But even if you are crafty enough to break the code and get in, you wouldn't get far. You would have to get past armed guards, missile tanks, Apache helicopters, infrared surveillance, video cameras, and concrete reinforced granite walls. This is kind of what the safe room at my house looks like. <laughs> it's where I hide myself when I upset Angela. I go and I lock the door behind concrete reinforced granite walls. If you try to break in, you are going nowhere. At the height of World War II, Fort Knox had the privilege of housing some of the most precious documents in the world. Listen to this. In one place were the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and the Gutenberg Bible. All of them. It has housed the crown jewels of the English family and some of the National Reserve of other European countries. Do you hear what I'm saying? This place is so safe and secure that other countries say, keep my stuff. Folks, you can't get into Fort Knox. You're not welcome there. In fact, if you wanted to get in and you tried to get in, they'd probably shoot you. That's how unwelcome you are at Fort Knox. You know, the truth of the matter is, there are many places on this planet where you aren't welcome. But the resurrection gives us this promise. You are always welcome to come to Jesus. Amen. Always. Let's consider this morning what we can learn about our risen Savior and wrestle through this question. Will he save you? Can I just jump to the end real quick and just say yes? And we'll flesh all that out on the way. First thing we see from this passage in Mark chapter 2 when we consider whether or not Jesus will save us is that we first need to listen to Jesus. Listen. Now, in Mark chapter 2, you remember throughout Mark, we've seen Jesus healing, we've seen Jesus preaching and teaching, and just last week, we saw Jesus in the house. And there in the house in Capernaum, it was crowded and packed, it was so full that there was a man who came, or actually he didn't come, did he? His friends carried him on a bed, trying to find an opportunity for him to be healed. 
They got there and it was so packed, they couldn't get in the door. So they climbed up on the roof. His friends dug a hole. Then they lifted up all the ceiling tiles. They dropped this dude down right in the middle of Jesus' teaching. I appreciate the way it was put in life group this morning. Can you imagine sitting there, you're enraptured with Jesus, and then you look up and suddenly there's a brand new skylight. There's, been a, there's a hole in the roof. And this dude just starts coming down out of the ceiling. Now Jesus has, has confronted the, the scribes and the religious leaders there. He has taught, he has healed, perhaps even cast out demons. He's exhausted. So what does Jesus do when Jesus gets tired? We see this pattern repeated over and over again. Jesus gets away. We talked about how important that is. The Bible urges us to take Sabbath rest. Jesus gets away. Even Jesus needed some time to himself. And so that's what's happening right here in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea. Now we can rush through that comma and go, and all the crowd was coming to him and miss that Jesus went out by the sea. <sighs> that's what commas are tell us to do, right? Take a deep breath. Jesus went to the sea. <sighs> Let's take a minute. But Jesus can't find a minute, can he? Because he goes out to the sea and what happens? The crowds are coming to him. They're constantly chasing him down. Jesus can't seem to get away. So as they came to him and he started teaching them, because that's what Jesus does, right? He always makes time for the people when they find him. And Jesus begins to teach them. Now, I want to urge you this morning, listen to Jesus. Listen, the Bible says he was teaching. If he was teaching, that must mean that they were learning, or at least that was his intent. Nobody teaches for the sake of teaching. We teach so that people may actually learn, so that they turn their listening ears on as we tell our children, and they pay attention to what happens, and then later they'll be able to regurgitate some of those things that they've heard. We've been enjoying with our children, hearing them around the dinner table, telling us about what they're learning about Easter. We're enjoying those things as they've reflected with us on Palm Sunday and, and as they reflected on what the Last Supper looks like and what the Lord's Supper means. We're enjoying the fact that they're absorbing these things like sponges. Folks, if you want to know if Jesus will save you, listen up. Listen to what he's saying. Some of you come in here, and not just you, lots of people in our world, so I'm not hating on you, Okay? A lot of folks are afraid that if they walk into the church, the place is going to blaze up and catch fire. Jesus couldn't actually save a person like me. Pastor, I'd love to come there, but you don't understand who I am. Can I tell you that if that is your belief, it's because you spend entirely too much time talking and not nearly enough time listening. Will Jesus save you? You might think that he can or he won't, but I want you to listen. Take the time to listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you so busy telling Jesus what you've done or what you're going to do or what you don't have or what you haven't had that you haven't actually taken the time to listen to what he says? Those of you who have children are going to be able to sympathize and empathize and completely understand what I'm talking. Now, if you got those like little babies, you don't yet because you don't understand. They don't know how to talk back yet, okay? But by the time they get about two and a half, all of a sudden. And so you're trying to talk, and they're so busy defending themselves for whatever in the world they've done. We have this happen at least 37 times an hour in our house. Angela has instituted a new rule in our house. If you tattletale on somebody, you lose something and somebody else gets something. I mean, it's, 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 it's vicious in our place because we just can't. But they, they don't take time to listen. 
So they come into the kitchen, that's usually where they find us, or, or in the den, or in our bedroom, or hiding under the bed from them, wherever they might find us, and they walk in, and they start talking. Okay, and I say, stop, and they keep, I stop, and they keep, stop. Oftentimes, they don't take long enough to hear what it is I'm going to say. There are times when my children come in and they start immediately defending themselves. Actually, they don't usually defend. First thing I want to do is tell on somebody and then defend themselves. I heard somebody say, amen, have you been there? <laughs> and we just, stop, 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 stop! Why did you yell at me? I, what? I'm the bad guy? It's like you're not even in trouble if you'll just shut your mouth. I just need you to listen. Listen. Folks, some of you just need to listen to the Lord. You spent so much time talking about why you shouldn't or couldn't or wouldn't or haven't. You've ran your mouth long enough and today needs to be the day that you just remember you got two ears and one mouth for a reason. And you need to listen twice as much as you talk. And if you'd listen just half as much as you talk, you might discover that God loves you. He loves you right where you are. And he longs for you to be in relationship with him. Amen. Would you listen to Jesus? Can you imagine? There's Matthew sitting by the sea, right? He's sitting there. He's collecting. Matthew was despised and rejected, okay? This is not a man that people wanted to hang out with. When throughout this passage, they're using the word um, tax collectors and sinners. Sinners was an actual title for these folks. It's like being an outcast. It wasn't just like, oh, they're, they're a sinner. No, no. This is the title that the religious leaders had given them. Because they did not adhere to the rules and the expectation they laid on them. Further, a tax collector was considered a traitor. Tax collectors, when a Jew gave in and decided that they would be willing to collect taxes for the Roman government, they were kicked out of the synagogue. They were no longer allowed to serve as a judge. They couldn't serve on a jury. They couldn't serve as a witness in a trial. They were despised and rejected. That's all that Matthew had heard for his entire adult life. Unclean sinner, sellout, traitor. And yet Jesus walks by and Jesus says, Follow me. What in the world would have happened if Matthew had said, No, let me talk to you, Jesus. I need to tell you. Jesus, just hush and listen. Hush, Jesus, hush. But instead, Jesus says, Follow. And Matthew got up and left. Listen to me. Jesus says to you today, Follow me. I know you got all kinds of excuses. I get it. I know you've done all kinds of things. It's okay. He's not looking for you to have all the answers. He doesn't need all of your defenses. All he says is, follow me. I'm asking you today, would you just get up, would you get up and follow Jesus? Would you step away from whatever the things are and would you follow? Would you, would you turn off the voices that are out there or the voices that are in here and listen to the only voice that really matters? The voice that calms the storms and raises the dead. That is the voice of Jesus Christ. Would you follow him today? Listen to Jesus. Number two this morning, look for Jesus you say, Craig, you said listen. Isn't that kind of like looking? Here, I want to explain just a little bit. Look for the people that he's spending time with. Look for the lives he's changing. Look at the people that he is willing to be known by. 
Some of you have bought the lies about Jesus and about Christianity that is for a certain kind of people or a certain kind of thing. Would you look around and consider what in the world the people of Jesus actually accomplished? Would you consider what it is that Jesus actually does in the lives of people? You know what he does? In the New Testament, he heals the sick, cures the lame, cleanses the leper, raises the dead, overcomes death, hell, sin, and the grave all on his own. Jesus does all those things. We see that. And then some. You know what he does in the lives of people today? He cures them of their disease. He heals them of their sin sickness. He restores their lives. He repairs families. And he gives hope and a future. He takes people who are far away from God and separated in their sin and he brings them into a relationship with the creator of the universe and he gives them life. He rips out their old hard heart and he gives them a fresh, soft, clean heart of flesh where they can love God and love others and they can impact the world. Would you take time to look around and consider what it is that Jesus does? Jesus feeds the, the hungry and clothes the, 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 the homeless. He cares for the orphan and the widow. Meets the needs of the needy. You don't believe it? Even in our own church, this morning, what did I I announce? That we should have folks show up for love, serve, give, because we have a responsibility as the people of Christ to feed those who can't feed themselves, to clothe those who can't clothe themselves, to be parents for the fatherless and the motherless. To be friends and support for the alien and the orphan and the widow. You see, if we're not careful, we cannot listen to Jesus enough. And we cannot open our eyes and look around enough. If we constantly run our mouths and shut our eyes, then we begin to believe that we got it all figured out. And we begin to accuse Christians of just being hypocrites. Christians of just being all of these isms. And Jesus of not mattering, but if occasionally we would just shut our mouths and open our eyes and listen to what Jesus has said and look at what Christ is accomplishing through his church, you may just discover not only that Jesus will save you, you may just discover that you want him to save you. He takes a people that are not a people and makes them into a people. He takes this random collection of folks and brings them together and makes them into a church. And a church family is one of the most powerful organisms on planet Earth. Look for Jesus. Look for the people he's spending time with. Well, Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with a person like me. The church wouldn't want anything to do with a person like me. Have you read the New Testament? I haven't yet found the kind of person that Jesus didn't want to hang around with. He was willing to be with anybody who wanted to hang out with him. Do you recognize that? Anybody who came to Jesus found a listening ear. Anybody who came to Jesus found an opening and welcoming arm. Now some rejected Christ. Some heard the message of Christ and turned in anger. But they were all welcome to come and to hear and to see. Will Jesus save you? Listen, look. Number three this morning, enjoy Jesus. Listen to me. He's not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Sit with Him. Eat with Him. Enjoy Him. 
The self-righteous were too busy critiquing Jesus to enjoy Jesus. As he reclined at the table in his house were many tax collectors and sinners. They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. What are the many? There were many tax collectors and sinners. Remember, sinners is like a special category of outcast folk. All right? This is like people from Calpins. I'm just kidding. I'm from Calpins. Not really, but sort of. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and, or tax collectors and sinners? Instead of enjoying the opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus, these self-righteous folk were busy critiquing Jesus. Look at those that Jesus spent time with. He was not concerned about what others might say. Jesus made friends with all who would have him. Too often we're worried about what others might think or what Jesus might think without actually just enjoying Jesus. Why were they shocked that Jesus was hanging out with these people? Jesus fit in with the religious leader crowd. Okay, Jesus himself was a religious leader. Don't miss that. Sometimes we like to sort of paint Jesus as something that he wasn't. I was told just this week, well, Jesus was a political rabble-rouser. No. Jesus was the Messiah. Okay? He was the Savior of the world. He was a rabbi among his people. He was a religious leader. It's not as though by being religious, these people became self-righteous. It's not as though by being religious, they were necessarily bad. It was because they rejected the reality of Christ. Jesus was a religious leader. These other religious leaders couldn't understand why it was that he would be seen in that kind of place. So let me just back up for a minute and explain to you, this does not mean that the best way to incarnationally live as Jesus is to live as a notorious sinner and reject Christ's church. Jesus stood out to the religious leaders because he lived a life of holiness and set-apartness and yet was willing to interact with those who were not yet a part of his people. There is something good to be said for people of God who spend time with those who are far from God and seek to draw them into a relationship with Christ. But there is nothing good to be said for those who claim to be followers of Christ and do not live lives of holiness and use that as an excuse to claim that they are somehow living an incarnational life. Following Christ is to pursue holiness, not to earn His love and grace and our salvation, but because He has given us so much and we have an opportunity to live as His children. Conversation I have with my children all the time is this one. You are a Thompson. I love you. You are my child. And as a result, I expect you to behave as such. I never say to them, you better do this or I'll quit loving you. It's been tempting. <laughs> but it's not true. No matter what they do. They always will be my children. 
And so the conversation that they hear and that they have drilled into them, and they're tired of at this point, is this one. You are my son. You are my daughter. You know how I expect you to behave. I don't care what anyone else does. Daddy, you're not supposed to say that. That's not nice. No, baby, it's just true. I don't care what they do. Their parents make the rules for them or ignore their rules or don't do what... That, that doesn't matter. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. And as a result, this is who we are. People know that we belong to each other because we look like we belong to each other. I'm going to tell you, nothing has shown that to us more than the process of adoption. Now... Ours kind of look like they came from us anyway, so that's a little weird. We can't really explain that except in God's sovereign good plan, okay? But when they came to us, they didn't look like us. What we discovered is that over time, when we were the ones that were picking out their wardrobe and helping to identify and helping them with their hairstyles, we began to realize that we all start looking the same. We start dressing the same. We start talking the same. After a long while, we've even started eating most of the same foods. That means broccoli. It's, it's a tough sell, but we do it. But over time, as a family, we begin to reflect one another. We begin to resemble one another. We use the same words. We use the same colloquialisms. As they get older, we even have the same sense of humor. That's the, that's the cool thing about watching your kids get a little older. They, they, they get 8, 9, 10. They start getting that sense of humor. They start getting some, some sarcasm that we have to keep carefully monitored so it doesn't become disrespect. But they begin to get it. They look like us. They act like us. Jesus isn't ashamed of you. He wants to hang out with you. But make no mistake, the longer you're in His family, the more time you spend with Him, the more you should look like Him. If you're lip... Let's just step aside. I've been really encouraging all morning, so let's just step on this toe for just a moment. If you're living a life of rebellion and claiming that you are somehow godlier as a result, you have become the very self-righteous Pharisee that you are arguing against. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But if you are reveling in your sin and calling it Christian liberty, you are not being biblical. Period. Why in the world would we be ashamed of the teachings of Jesus when Jesus is not ashamed of us? We drop our kids off. We, that every morning we, we go together, we drop them off, we kick them out the door at school. You know, the, the, the most depressing thing is a dad... When you're walking with your little daughter, you're holding hands, and you're walking to school, right? And your daughter goes, <clears throat> You go, huh? I don't need you to hold my hand, Daddy. Okay, baby, let me give you a kiss. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Man, I'm going to tell you, that hurts your heart. When your daughter is ashamed for you to kiss her in public, it hurts. 
works. Aubrey did it in kindergarten. That shouldn't be normal. It shouldn't be allowable. <laughs> Folks, when we run from the Word of God, we run from the teachings, the clear teachings of Christ's Word, and claim to know better, we're suggesting to the world that we're ashamed of Christ's teachings. How dare we? Because He has never been ashamed of our filth. Oh. Enjoy Him. Enjoy Him. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be enjoyed by you. Enjoy Him. What a Savior. And fourthly this morning, respond to Jesus. So listen to Jesus. Listen to what He says. Look for Him. And remember, when we're talking to look, we're talking to look at, for the people He's spending time with, the lives He's changed. Look for the work that He's doing. Look at what Jesus actually is, who He is, not what you might have been led to believe. Enjoy Him. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's not ashamed to be seen with you. Okay? He is not. Do you remember the woman at the well? Oh, I'm not married. No, you're not married. You've been married five times, and the guy you're with now is not your husband either. Everybody in town was ashamed of this woman, and Jesus says, you go tell them to come see me. I'll be your friend. You tell them. You become my spokesperson. Jesus would have failed in a public relations course because he sent a defiled woman to be his spokesperson. And he's okay with that because he's not ashamed. Amen. Your sin can't dirty up Jesus, but his blood can cleanse you to the core. Finally this morning, respond to Jesus. Most people equate the self-righteous with religious people and that can certainly be true that can certainly be true we've always known that self-righteous person that shows up at church on Sunday morning with their nose held high in the air and wants to tell everybody on Monday through thir through Saturday just exactly how awful they are and how good I am we've all known that some of us have been that person and praise God that in his grace he has shown us our sin and we've been able to repent some of you need to repent of that today some of you, as followers of Jesus, maybe even members of this church, have, have found entirely too much time in your own life to point out the, the specks in the eyes of others without removing the logs in your own eyes. Jesus is very clear. He has little patience for self-righteous religious folks. He came not to call the healthy, but the sick. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I want to show you something, though. Jesus' critique here that he came not to call the righteous but sinners and to heal the sick tells us that he can do nothing for those who claim to not need anything. If you don't have any needs, Jesus can't fill you up. This is why it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Because the wealthy have no needs that they can identify in this physical world and often can be blind to their spiritual need because all of their material needs have been so richly met. But So you can be religiously self-righteous, but do you know that you can also be unchurched and self-righteous? You can also be the kind of person who is self-righteous in your unbelief. Self-righteous in your inactivity in the church. The kind of person who says those people in that church are nothing but hypocrites. Jesus, really loving Jesus means living the life that I live. Let me give you a definition for self-righteous. The self-righteous person is the one who carries himself or herself with an air of certainty that he or she is totally right and completely morally superior If you believe you're better than the person sitting beside you, you are self-righteous. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and said, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. Why? Because the righteous would not have the willingness to acknowledge their need before Christ. But only those who were aware of their sins and their shortcomings of their failures and their fallings. Do not be deceived. Your inactivity in the local church is not somehow a crown of righteousness for you to wave before the throne of glory. Just as there may be some of you who attend here every Sunday and do not have a relationship with Jesus because you have become so convinced that you know everything, that Jesus can't do anything with you. There are some of you who have walked away from the church with an air of moral superiority. The people in that church are judgmental and they don't understand. I alone have the full understanding of God's Word. Listen to me. If you believe that you've got it figured out and the rest of the world doesn't, you are the epitome of self-righteousness. Period. And let me turn the mirror around and say, if I ever get to a place where I believe that I've got it figured out and the rest of the world doesn't, I am the epitome of self-righteousness and I become that person against whom Jesus is preaching. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus died on Good Friday and rose on Resurrection Sunday so that those who are sick could be made well and those who are sinful could be made righteous. Come, ye sinners. Receive all that Christ has to offer. You can't get into Fort Knox, but that's okay. Because it really isn't the safest place on earth anyway. The safest place is in the presence of Christ. And you are always invited there. So, for you this morning, the question comes down to this. Will you listen to Jesus? Listen, I, I, I know some of you walked in here with walls that looked like those concrete reinforced granite walls of Fort Knox. 
You've erected those walls of unbelief, of skepticism, of doubt. You walked in. Some of you walked in and said, I have no time for religion, but I'll be here to fulfill this social custom. Okay? Some of you came in and said, I've got time for a religion of my own making, but I don't really have time for anyone to suggest to me that the Bible is completely true and this whole resurrection thing is legitimate. Some of you just walked in and just said, I have to guard my heart because if I don't, it'll just be broken all over again. So some of you came in with huge walls. Some of you came in with all the walls broken down in your heart and pieces all around your feet. You say, I can't get in anywhere. Everything in my life is broken. You say, get into Fort Knox. I'm afraid I won't even be able to get in my house next week. Because my marriage is in shambles. The safest place on earth is in the presence of Christ and you're always invited there. The church didn't catch on fire when you came in this morning. God didn't send thunder and lightning. And guess what? The person in the seat beside you didn't judge you. They welcomed you with open arms. Because that's what the people of Christ do. And they do it because of the love of Christ that was poured out on Calvary's cross. Because they've been saved by a dead Savior who overcame death, hell, and the grave and rose on Easter Sunday. So on this Easter Sunday, would you allow that resurrected Savior to save you from your sins and your shame and your loneliness? Would you come today and receive Christ's love and His hope and His forgiveness. Yes, your sins have separated you from a holy God. Yes, you are at enmity with an holy God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died so that you could be made right. Would you come this morning as we pray? Father in heaven, I pray that you would bring us into your presence as we sing that, Lord God, you would work through the power of your word and the power of song to convict and to draw and to change. And on this Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate an empty tomb, Father, would you fill our hearts with the love of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please stand. You came for Christ.